the volume. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. I bet on FanDuel as often and as comfortably as I possibly can. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. There are fast payouts in as quick as two hours. So many bet types. Same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures, and so much more. If you are new... Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We have an amazing show for you this week. The demise of HBO has been a popular topic amongst boxing fans for some time now. James Andrew Miller, who is one of the great oral historians of our time, has written terrific books on ESPN, Saturday Night Live. He did a deep dive book on HBO, including the rise and fall of boxing at HBO. James joins me on the podcast to discuss that very topic, how HBO got into the business and how ultimately HBO quietly got out of the business. A little bit later on, Regis Prograde, the former 140-pound champion, he has been relatively quiet in 2021, as not a lot of fighters have been willing to step up and to fight him. I talked to Regis about that, about his new deal with the fledgling promotional outfit Probellum, and what he hopes to accomplish in 2022. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, Post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. All right, there is no 
greater writer of oral histories, among other things, than James Andrew Miller. He's the author of books like Powerhouse, Live from New York. These guys have all the fun. His latest project is Tinderbox, HBO's ruthless pursuit of new frontiers, which you can pick up everywhere that you buy books. And Jim, uh, Jim, kind enough to join me here uh, on the show. Jim, let, let's just start, before we get into the boxing part of this, which is obviously what I want to dive into, the name was interesting to me right off the bat. Why Tinderbox? Um, because I think that, you know, look, for the past 49 years, the different, different incarnations and different key inflection points in its history, uh, HBO has been flammable. It's been one of these things that not only ignites change within the network itself, but I think within the television sector and the culture. And I think that that was the way that I was trying to make sure that people knew just how vast the impact was that HBO has had on everything. Yeah. HBO got into boxing, I believe, what, 1973 was their first year uh, in the sport, something around there. As you were kind of doing your reporting, like how important was boxing for the early days of HBO? It was a big, big engine. I got to tell you, Chris, it was so important that, well, let's, let's look at it from two points of view. First of all, as you know, much better than I, the broadcast networks had given up on boxing, right? Boxing's huge in the forties on radio, radio, and then the fifties television. And there's something that happens to boxing in the sixties, whereby the networks start to put it on in the afternoons when everybody's like mowing the lawn and at the swim club and <laughs> the promoters are complaining. And, you know, I mean, obviously we have Ali and Frazier, but it's, it's like, it doesn't have that patina that it had. Uh, and so HBO comes along and is able to say to the promoters, look, we're going to put it in prime time. We believe in boxing. And so as a result, it, boxing becomes one of the key reasons, in addition to uncut, uncensored movies, that people start subscribing to, to HBO in the 70s. And they start off with, a, with a, an incredible uh, twosome, Rumble in the Jungle and Thriller from Manila. I mean, come on, like, you know, you don't have to be a huge expert in boxing to understand the importance of both of those. And uh, I think they did a great job of marketing off of those things. I mean, and by the way, Rumble in the Jungle was one of the first things that Time Inc., the corporate parent of HBO, uh, you know, those guys, when they saw that that, that fight on, on HBO, they're like, hey, maybe this thing is worth something. Maybe this thing can last. And then HBO's around, it, it, the timing is perfect because you get, well, not only do you get, uh, I mean, Thrill Manila, but then very quickly, Hearns Hagler, you get, I mean, you get, you know, the, the life after Ali and you're just there, HBO was there in turn for a little guy named Mike Tyson. So it's like a Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean, all these people come through HBO's gateway and uh, it just blows up the sport again. Do you think it's surprised that the top executives at HBO just how big it became and how quickly it became such a big tentpole for what they do? Well, now you're talking about a different thing because now you're talking about hubris. And there were <laughs> a lot of those guys at the company at the time who were like, damn right, I knew it. Of course we knew it. You know? Sure, yeah. And Michael Fuchs, who was fearless about spending money on sports, got Wimbledon coverage during the week for the first time ever. Uh, 
he spent like $62 million on Mike Tyson at a time when nobody really knew what he was, you know, what he was capable of. So I think they have every right to kind of be boastful about it, proud of it. Uh, I mean, Hearns, Hagler, you go through all those big, big fights. They, they knew what they had and they really transformed the sport uh, for a long time until pay-per-view came along. If you could sort of elaborate on that point, we you mentioned what boxing did for HBO. What do you think HBO did for boxing? Well, there's a couple things. Um, and again, you know, I feel weird telling you this because you know it much better than I, but here's, here's one very easy thing to understand, which is that HBO didn't have commercials. And so what's going on is you're able to stay in the ring between rounds. If you were watching ABC World World of Sports in the 70s, the bell rings, you're, they can't wait to get to a commercial and start getting money. HBO's got nowhere to go. And so as a result, we're like staying in the ring. We're seeing what it's like to be on that stool. We're seeing them talk to them. We're seeing them cut them. We're seeing them all fix that up. And the other thing that they did, because production exigencies were really important to HBO, they stick the mic there. So as a result, there's like two or three major moments where HBO is picking up, like there's two plastic jars, uh, two plastic drinking containers. And you hear the trainer say to somebody, hand me that one. No, not that one, the other one. Well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, you, know, you don't need a body temperature IQ to figure that one out. And you hear strategy, you hear, you know, the trainers talking to the fighters like, you got to do this or you got to do that. And he's coming after you. It's a whole other dimension to the fight. And then the other thing I would say is that, you know, with 24-7, something that they really branded and people did afterwards, you get this whole run up to the fight. You know, they're not just all of a sudden bringing you a fight at three o'clock in the afternoon. Weeks before a fight starts, they're going to be, they're out there running with the, you know, with with the challenger or with the champ, looking at the training, taking footage. I, I mean, it was funny because perhaps one of HBO's biggest fights, one of the great upsets in not only boxing history, but sports history was Buster and Tyson, Buster Douglas and Tyson. And, you know, in the book, I interviewed the guy who was hanging out with Buster's camp and Buster in the days before the fight. And so he's supposed to go shoot and do some road work with him, right? Well, Buster's so out of shape. He's so upset about his mom. He's so not into this fight. And so it's like he runs for like, you know, 50 yards or something, you know, the guy tells the story and he just says, forget it. After they, they're done shooting, he stops training, you know? And it's like Dave Harmon, who's a wonderful box, boxing producer. And he said, you know, look, I, just didn't have a lot of faith in this guy after that, you know, and, uh, and lo and behold though, you know, of course it was a great surprise. Yeah, I work with Dave Harmon now. He does uh, some stuff over at the zone now. And, and of course a couple he, other places the, as well. He's he tremendous. He's actually, he the you're right though. These, these vehicles and these production points that we kind of take for granted now, like HBO really pioneered them, didn't they? Whether it is all the stuff in the corner that now you listen to, captivated like you're just you're locked in on that stuff and i mean i wonder if they knew just how big 24 7 was going to become i think a lot of that's to do with floyd mayweather who was the character that kind of you know that, that i was built on in a way but 
I mean, that that's something that's become universally adopted by every network that does boxing. Yeah, absolutely. I think they I think that part of it was they had the time and they had the interest. I mean, the interest was genuine because remember, you don't have like sponsors saying to you like Bud Light or something. Hey, if you do a, a couple hours beforehand, we'll sponsor it or whatever. It's it's a real meritocracy. And they had genuine interest in it and they had genuine love of it. But I also think one of the other things that happens is you start to see with HBO and boxing, big questions. Like for instance, when Don King and Mike Tyson did their deal, they re their renewal for uh, HBO, Seth Abraham got on the, the executive at HBO, got on the phone with them and said, congratulations. And Tyson and King were like, yeah. And you know, the best thing about this deal is we don't have to put up with Larry Merchant anymore. <laughs> And Don and Seth, Seth goes, well, what is what do you mean by that? And and Tyson says to Seth, well, you know, Don told me that in the New Deal, we don't, you know, Larry Merchant's not going to cover any of my fights. I don't have to talk to him anymore. And Seth goes, hold on a minute, buddy. That's not in the deal. And Don, of course, who, you know, kind of thought it was, but it wasn't written in the deal. He said, well, wait a second. I thought we were, they wind up literally going to Showtime over this. Mm -hmm. And so you see HBO standing up for Larry Merchant and the journalistic DNA of sports coverage in a way that a lot of other places wouldn't have done. I mean, it, it, I'm not trying to be a kiss ass here. I, you do have to admire it. And I think all these things coming up like that are, are, are really important. And they look at one point, you know this, I mean, there are how many how many heavyweight belts? How many different kinds of things? They lost, they lost control. The sport lost control of itself. And so what HBO did with Don King and others is they said, look, let's make it a unification bout. Let's make this a real playoff, so to speak, amongst champions. So we get to one champion, one true champion. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that those that ability to really transfer transport the sport to a different level and a more accessible level, pretty pretty big time. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I remember that about HBO and Larry Merchant, Don King, and that, and I I do admire that because I think it's a responsibility of a network to tell the truth as often as it can, not you know kind of be a vehicle for you know, just people to make stuff up and uh, propaganda, uh, if you will. I, you, you must have enjoyed a lot of these conversations. Like the most fun I've had reporting stories have been kind of profiles on boxing people. Like I wrote one on Bob Arum probably eight, nine years ago now. And I, I vividly remember kind of getting three quarters of the way through it and realizing somewhere along the way I was writing that Bob Arum solved apartheid in South Africa, like basically along those lines. Like, it, like when you look back at the reporting that you did there, are there stories that just kind of make you laugh out loud that just you sit there and you're like, I mean, that's just, that's just, that's only in boxing can that can stories well, I mean, like that look, exist. It, it allowed me, you know, BS aside to vicariously get a sense of what you do for a living. I mean, you know, you're in this world and you get to hang out in this world and you know the players. I parachuted in. But man, oh man, like I'm on the phone with Bob Arum and this guy, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the real definitions of power is when like somebody doesn't say to you, by the way, this is off the record, or I got to tell you this on background. This guy is just what me worry. I mean, he's like, he's like, I mean, King of the Hill, he doesn't have to worry about offending anybody. He's just going to tell it 
exactly the truth uh, and how he sees it. And I think that that's powerful. And you get into the layers of subculture into the, into the boxing world. I mean, look, there was a lot of financial stuff that I had reported on and I was, I was making Excel spreadsheets and wait a second, there's some money missing over here. And how does this happen? But you know what? I, you know, I cut a lot of it out because at some point it becomes too Byzantine and too detailed and not connected enough to the actual history of HBO. But I have to say that for, for decades, boxing was a critical artery of HBO and they managed it beautifully. Showtime came along, very aggressive, stole some thunder for them. And then everybody had to contend with, you know, what you obviously have written about and reported on for so long, which is, you know, the sport fundamentally changed. I definitely did. And, I want I want to ask you about that. It on, on Showtime, like when Showtime came into the business, what impact did that have on HBO boxing? Initially, not much. Mm. Because HBO had such a formidable financial advantage and they had relationships and they had long-term deals. And even when Showtime wasn't a threat, HBO was paranoid enough to make some really big, significant contracts with people. And I also feel like, you know, they had pretty good relationships. They did not burn a lot of bridges, but then Showtime Look, part of that change was because of the Larry Merchant deal. So Showtime's allowed, enabled them to get Tyson and Don King. And when you get Don King, you get some other Don King fighters. And, you know, it becomes difficult. Look, uh, what Ross Greenberg went through with Manny Pacquiao, mm. I could have written 1,200 pages. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a ground war in Southeast Asia. And it's not for the faint of heart. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you start to see that the, the leverage that HBO had over the sport was eroding. And so it becomes, when it becomes a more level playing field, then Showtime has incredible, incredible opportunities. When did you, when did that leverage start to erode? Was it just when Showtime started to invest more in it? Was it the proliferation of other networks getting into boxing? Was there kind of a point where, you know, a specific point where HBO kind of lost the power it held. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Chris, because I had an index card on my bulletin board with that exact question. Hmm. I needed to answer it. I'm going to do a book of record about the history of HBO and really get into HBO sports. I needed to answer that question. Um, the biggest thing I can say is that pay-per-view was like a grenade that just went off inside boxing because as a result, you didn't have that ability to kind of control the sport the way you used to. And I think a lot of promoters were very eager to get some of that pay-per-view dollars for themselves and for their fighters. And so as a result, I mean, HBO had TKO and it was important. And people like Lou DiBello and Mark Taffet were doing incredible enterprising things at HBO Sports. But it just was never the same like it was in the late 70s and early 80s. You know, I mean, Friday night fights. I mean, look, ESPN went through a lot of this as well. But I think that it became harder and harder for, for 
the public to understand the sport and for there to be personalities. I mean, Mayweather was a gift, Pacquiao, obviously, but there just weren't those Marvin Hanglers and Thomas Hearns of the world and, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and Tyson, of course. Um, I think a lot of the sport was built on those personalities and, and you lose them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I, I think this century has seen the diminishing of a lot of personalities, uh, er, many personalities in boxing. You mentioned uh, Larry Merchant. Uh, HBO effectively created Jim Lampley in a lot of ways. I mean, he was doing things before. He was the first ever sideline reporter um, on football broadcasts. Uh, but when you were kind of addressing that part of it, like what, like Lampley's rise as the face of boxing, what did you kind of discover? I got to tell you, um, uh, you know, I, I'm blown away by Jim Lampley. He, he uh, this is a guy who, you know, those people um, that can remember every day of their life. It's like this weird mental thing. Well, Lampley's not like that about his life, but he's like that about boxing. Like I would talk to him. I would call him. He would, we'd be talking all of a sudden. I mentioned a fight. He'd say, oh, oh, yeah. He would give the date of the fight. Then he'd say like, yeah, and in the fourth round, he had a left hook that really caught. It's like, what the hell? Oh, my God. The guy's memory, the guy's encyclopedic knowledge, his love of the sport and his his level of detail in terms of what he examined about the sport, the fighters, the promoters, the trainers, everybody. I mean, it, it's just incredible. And I think that HBO was, you can't talk about HBO's position in boxing without talking about how amazing Jim Lampley was. Um, why was for, he Why was he so good in that role? Like he's a talented broadcaster, no doubt. He'd have success in any medium, but he just seemed to, it was round peg, round hole when it came to Jim Lampley and boxing. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that he had, look, he has, in addition to his incredible mind and insight into the sport, he has, um, dare I say, a rather beautiful way of marrying what's actually happening in the ring with a larger context, which is the personality of this guy, the dynamic between the two fighters, the Shakespearean drama that's lurking beneath it all. And I mean, he's so well-spoken and he's so incredibly vivid in his descriptions of things that you just get a level of detail and uh, verisimilitude on a fight that Lampley is a part of that you just don't get anyplace else. And I think that that, I mean, he certainly was worth every single penny they paid him and probably more and probably more. And it was, uh, you know, for me, when Lamps went, you know, off the grid, so to speak at HBO and HBO boxing, it was a real loss because he was just, he was just as important to that night as the two fighters. You know, you, you couldn't wait to see him. He set the table at the beginning. And the other thing was, again, like we were talking about commercials, after the fight's over, the networks would be running to a commercial. Mm-hmm. After the fight's over at HBO, you go to the center of the ring and Merchant and Lampley are there and Merchant may be doing his crazy thing with, you know, who knows who, but like Aunt Lampley is there and he is deconstructing that fight in a way with a scalpel. I mean, he is exacting in his analysis of it, and it's a pretty—it's pr- pretty formidable. No, I, I, you really can't find a lot of people who can do that back then like he did. 
they built some talented boxers over the years, but I say this as a broadcaster as well, but their broadcasting crew was, was excellent. Whether it was Lampley all throughout Larry for many years, Max taken over. I thought Emmanuel Stewart, uh, turned into one of, in addition to being one of the great trainers of all time, became, I thought, one of the great broadcasters of all time. I mean, he was tremendous. I don't know how much you got into uh, his life and time at HBO, but I thought he, you know, before his passing, had uh, he was probably as good a broadcaster as he was a trainer at that point. Well, I think the other thing that that shows, I agree with you, and I think the other thing that shows is that HBO was constantly trying to figure out new ways to cover the sport and new ways to create a narrative for the sport, both for the fight and for the larger context of boxing. I think they really cared about boxing as an institution, not just, you know, okay, let's throw this fight on. Um, they were a big part of it. Um, some might argue too big a part of it, but uh, I think their their dedication and loyalty to sport was particularly in the late 70s and the 80s and early 90s was uh, without beer. No question. Uh, before I let you go, we talked about the beginning of HBO, the middle of HBO. The end was, for lack of a better word, kind of sad, uh, where they were relatively inactive over the last couple of years, and they kind of quietly go off the air in December of 2018. Uh, what did you learn about kind of the end of HBO and, and what prompted them to get out of the business? Well, you know... Um... The current leadership at HBO will is always correcting me because HBO Sports technically hasn't died. There's real sports, there's hard knocks, and there's still HBO Sports documentaries. But I think that the HBO that you and I grew up around, um, I think that we started to see the warning signs at the end of last century because they had Wimbledon, they gave up Wimbledon, which was really painful for the employees of HBO Sports. They, you know, we've talked about what happened with, with boxing and they didn't have, look, when you're spending $140 million on Band of Brothers and, you know, a season of The Sopranos or let alone Game of Thrones, my gosh, the most expensive series HBO has ever done. When you're spending that kind of money on original programming, you just don't have the money to go after the acquisitions to have a portfolio of rights that HBO used to have. I mean, thank God HBO was able to get the rights that it did early in its history when the competition was, wasn't as fierce and the price tags weren't so high. But you can kind of start to see in 2000, the fact is a lot of this money is gonna be shifting over to original programming. It's not gonna be a priority for us. And um, you know, as a result, I. I I think you used the right word. I, I've said it myself, and I think it's the subtext and what I write about it. It was sad to see it go because HBO Sports was a big deal. It was a unique creature. It wasn't as vast as ESPN. It wasn't as vast as ABC Wild World of Sports. Um, you know, they had a page from their playbook stolen from them about sports documentaries by 30 for 30. But you still kind of like wanted it around. You know, mm -hmm. you still wanted to see what they would come up with. And so they have a much more limited agenda right now. They don't have the Lampleys of the world. They don't have the Tysons of the world. They don't have, you know, a lot of things that they used to have. Um, so it's, you know, it just, and sometimes progress sucks because, you know, it's just like you want those old in days of innocence where, you know, they were like literally when HBO covered Wimbledon, Chris, 
they put the tapes on the freaking Concord hmm. to get it back in time so we, they could show it before anybody else. We had like coverage of weekdays at Wimbledon. I mean, I don't know, not to sound like, you know, somebody who's nostalgic, but I, I miss those days. I kind of do as well. Um, and if HBO boxing has a legacy, it's that, I mean, everything they did was taken and adopted by somebody else, you know, whether it is the 24 seven vehicle, all the stuff they did in the corners, you mentioned the documentaries, um, you inside, know, they, the NFL. Inside, I mean, the, inside the NFL, inside the NFL was, I mean, look, no offense against Sunday countdown and all these other shows that are, you know, ubiquitous now, but they, you know, they had that before anybody else. And that was, uh, you know, that was a big deal. It was one of their longest running shows. In fact, Dave Harmon worked on it. His father worked on it. It was, you know, appointment television for uh, a lot of football fans. And when that went away, that was also a heartbreaker. Mm -hmm. Well, Dave Harmon, an avid listener of this podcast, so he'll be happy to know that uh, you, you approved of his work there. Well, he deserves it all, man. He does. Uh, the book is Tinderbox, HBO's Ruthless Pursuit of New Frontiers. We only covered a fraction of what's in there. Jim, tremendous stuff. Always great to catch up with you. And uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot. When we come back, my conversation with Regis Program. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. 
He's giving away up to $7 million in gifts over seven days on FanDuel. That's right. Santa Barkley is back, and Charles Barkley is giving away more than ever this holiday season through FanDuel Sportsbook. New and existing users open the FanDuel Sportsbook app every day between December 21st and December 27th for a new gift from St. Chuck. There's a lot of things to love about the FanDuel Sportsbook app. They're the same game parlays. You can build out your local Christmas Day schedule. Daily odds boost. You can look at the Christmas Day games in the NBA, which I'm sure are going to be wild because of the way that COVID has impacted this season. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for a reason. It is safe. It is easy to use. And you can get your money out in as little as two hours. New to FanDuel Sportsbook? Just sign up with the promo code BOXING to get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000 and make every moment more holiday season. That's promo code BOXING. Don't forget to check the FanDuel Sportsbook app every day between December 21st and the 27th to see what Santa Barkley brought to you. All right, I am here with a guy that is literally willing to fight anybody. Regis Progray. Former 140-pound title champ. We were talking just before we started recording, Regis, about how anytime there's a big fight available, mm-hmm. guys, between 140, 147, you've got your hand up on social mm-hmm. media. To whoever needs to hear it, you've mm-hmm. told them you are ready to fight. Yes, I'm ready to fight anybody. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always training. The thing is, you can see, you can't see my, my people can't, you can listen to my voice, but you can't see my <laughs> face. But I have a little stuff on my, my nose right now because I sparred on Thursday. So I'm always training, always in the gym, always ready. And um yeah, it's just frustrating, you know, cuz I'm I'm I had so many all these big fights, you know, come up, but it just never like came to fruition basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the Mikey Garcia. That fell through. My Adrian Broner, Javante Davis, um Mario Barrios, you know, all those fights, you know, was my name was supposed to like was thrown around mm-hmm. and nothing ever happened. So it's just like it's just kind of just frustrating for me. You know, we were talking about you during the Mikey Garcia fight where he lost to Sando mm-hmm. Martin, where he wasn't in great shape for that fight. He didn't take Sando Martin as serious, I think, as he should have. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking, kind of watching the guy that you were close to having a deal with and right. probably, maybe still, will have a fight against mm-hmm. uh, going and losing like that? It just, it was very frustrating because, I mean, I know, and listen, I know Mikey. You know, me and Mikey was on FaceTime together. We was like, he was saying he wants to fight me. Mm-hmm. You know, and but of course he wanted to get his tune up, and that's why he fought the left hander in 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 Martin, but then he ended up losing, and so it was just like I think for me I was the biggest loser that night. You know, I would it agree. Was, I think that I was the biggest loser for sure because you know if I definitely think that I would have destroyed Mikey that night mm-hmm. for sure. You know, Mikey's I think Mikey's a great fighter, but that night he just he 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 looked shot. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 you don't you don't know if that's if that's gonna be him for the rest of his career or it's just, is it just that night? Because, you know, um, sometimes in boxing, you know, people will say, that's it. That mm-hmm. fight is done. That's it. You know, because sometimes people, that's just how it is in boxing. It's, it's a cruel sport. Mm-hmm. But a lot of greats came back. My favorite fighter ever is Duran. And he kept doing it. He kept coming back. Even like Sugar Ray Leonard, they kept coming back, you know. So maybe Mikey can come back or maybe he is done. We don't, you know, we don't know. We'll see in his next fight and what his next move is going to be. At what point during that fight are you saying, like, holy shit, something is happening here. Because I remember watching early, I'm like, all right, Martin's having some success. Right. Mm-hmm. He had to be, he had to keep moving. And yeah. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do that over mm-hmm. 10 rounds. But at what point are you watching going, you know, this could go the wrong way for Mikey Garcia? Probably about the seventh round mm-hmm. because it just looked like, you know, because, you know, Mikey is kind of a, a slow starter mm-hmm. and he fights like that. But 
it just looked like his timing was just off, you know, like because in, in a lot of his fights, you know, he he is a slow start and he he tries to time you with that big right hand, but he was throwing it and he just could not land it. He couldn't mm-hmm. get it. And about the seven rounds, like, I don't think he he had he needed a knockout. I mm-hmm. think I heard y'all and he said he needs a knockout. And it it was like I think he hit him with probably one of the maybe in a seven or eight round he hit him with a uh, like a right hand that was kind of hard, but in Sander Martin it was fine. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that's he's probably not going to knock him out. He's you know, probably going to lose. What do you? I find it interesting that a corner doesn't always tell the fighter that. Like mm-hmm. they don't offer that sense of urgency. Robert Garcia wasn't telling Mikey he needed a knockout mm-hmm. going into that last round. Just recently, Teofimo Lopez Sr. Mm-hmm. seemed to believe that his son was winning right. most of the rounds uh, against George Cambosis. Like, mm-hmm. do you want, as a fighter, do you want your corner to be brutally honest with you going to those last couple of rounds where you say, mm-hmm. look, you got to either knock this guy down or knock this guy out to win? I mean, you know, it all depends on the fighter. You know, everybody, everybody's corner is different because sometimes it, like, it, it does. It, it all depends on that fighter, how that, that fighter responds because everybody mm-hmm. does respond differently. But I would, for me, I would think so. I like, I would need, like, you know, a fire under my ass. If mm-hmm. I'm losing, like, tell me, you know, like, because, you know, my, the only fight that I, that I lost for mm-hmm. me is um, the Josh Taylor fight. And, you know, like, my trainer, he was like, man, you need to wake up. Mm-hmm. One of my trainers, he was like, you need to wake up. But he told me kind of late in the fight, you know. And I wish they would have told me, like, earlier, like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. wake up and do something. So, for me, honestly, in my, in my personal opinion, I think that, you know, they should, you know, light a fire under your ass and, you know, say, wake up. How many, time, are different. how many times have you watched that fight back? I watched it about three or four times, mm-hmm. me, and Josh, the, me and Josh Taylor fight. It was a very, 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 it was, it was a very, very close fight, very mm-hmm. competitive fight. Listen, I thought... I mean, I'm definitely happy for Josh Taylor. You know, for me, I'm not like a hater and, mm. you know, I, I wish bad upon people, man. Josh Taylor, you know, that was his night that night. And I just came to realize that that was his night. It was just, mm. it was him. It was his country. It was his night. That was for him. But after the after the 12th round, I really thought I won. I'm not mm. going to lie. I just, it's just something I felt. I mean, was you at the fight? No, not no. The, we so, didn't do and, that fight. So in, in London that night, like when that 12th round, when that 12th round was over, I like went and screaming to the crowd like I won that fight and I really thought I won. I really thought I won, but mm-hmm. you know he got it and I'm happy for him. He became undisputed, and I think he is the only undisputed champion in the the the, the history of Scotland. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm like I'm I'm happy for him, man. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely happy for him. He he's doing his thing. So what have the last six months been like for you? You were active back in April. Mm-hmm. You beat Ivan Redcatch. Since then, you've cut a deal with Probellum. You've been mm-hmm. looking for those big fights. What have the last six months been like? Personally, a boxing. Well, we can go both. <laughs> Personally, great, man. Life yeah. is, like, amazing to me. I'm not going to lie. Life is amazing to mm-hmm. me on the personal side. Boxing side, you know, I just don't have a fight. That's yeah. the main thing, you know. But I'm always training. Um, You know, for the main thing I do, I'm with my family when I'm at home, and I just train. And, you know, I travel just all. Of course, I just travel a lot. I do a lot of traveling all the time, going to different countries, mm-hmm. just everywhere. Um, But personally, like, life has just been, life has been amazing to me. Mm-hmm. But, of course, on the boxing side, I just want to get a fight. That's mm-hmm. the thing. So for me, I just train, train, train. Just I want to just get better. That's the that's the thing I just want to get. I want to get better and keep getting better and just keep improving, getting stronger. And I feel like, you know, next time I fight, I'm going to be, you're going to see like a, just, I won't say different, but just more improved because mm-hmm. I'm constantly, I'm, I'm constantly like studying things to get better and do things to get better and getting stronger and just, just, just working. Mm-hmm. You know? So Probellum is a new outfit that, Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people know too much about Richard Schaefer. Mm-hmm. People are familiar with 
um, is operating that company. What Take me behind the decision to sign with them. What kind of promises were made to you and what are you expecting out of them? All right. So first off, the first promise is that I'm going to fight three times, mm-hmm. you know, in a year. Right. So 12 months, you know, um, I fight three times. So that's what I want to be. I want to be active. That's the thing. Of course, we, we, we still waiting on that first fight, but I did. I definitely what I want to be is active. The second thing is that I will fight all around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's something I always wanted. I never just wanted to fight. That's why, you know, one of the reasons I took the fight in London, because I, I want to go over there. You know, I shouldn't. have, But, I, you know, I wanted <laughs> I want for me, I, you know, I want to fight all over the world. I want to be a world champion. You know, my. My heroes was like Sugar Ray Robinson, Muhammad Ali. They was world champions. World champion means you fight all over the world, not just in your country, you know. So that's what I want to be. And um, then they they told me I'll probably fight for a title, mm-hmm. you know. And and of course, that's three things that I want: be a world champion again, two-time world champion, fight all over the world, and stay active. And you told me I could do all those three things. It's it's a no-brainer. I agree with you on fighting all over the world. I mean. Some of the things I've heard about George Cambosis has the lightweight titles. It means somebody's gonna have to fight in Australia. You should want to fight in Australia, like exactly. I mean, eighty thousand fans right. in a stadium to fight right. for an undisputed championship. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm at one thirty-five, I'm embracing that opportunity. Exactly. I, I want a piece of that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I think, man. World champion means fight all over the world. Don't just fight in your hometown. Mm-hmm. Don't just fight. You know, it's cool to do that, but for me, I like to. That's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to fight all over the world. I want to be all over. I like to. I, I'm a travel like. I love to travel. I love to see different cultures. So um, if I can go and fight all over the world and meet these people, that's what I want to do. So sometimes, oftentimes, in boxing, politics get involved in stopping fights. Mm-hmm. What's your understanding of being affiliated with ProBellum? Who will they work with? What kind of fights can they make? I mean, how confident are you that the politics of boxing won't get mm-hmm. in the way of you getting a big fight? Well, um, that's I think that's one of the things in the country. If if one of those if one of those um if a big fight presents itself, then you know I'm allowed. I can mm-hmm. go ahead, and, you know, do that. But for me, just being, hopefully, they can make you know they can keep the promise of me fighting for a world title mm-hmm. again. If I'm a once I'm a world champion again, then I can kind of dictate things. I can kind of control things. You know, it won't be it won't be too much politics. But right now, you mm-hmm. know, I don't have the the power as much because I'm not a world champion. But mm-hmm. once I'm a world champion again, then you know, then people will be coming out for my door. So a world champion, but at what weight class? You've been 140, hovering 140. 140. I'm standing at So you're, right. you're mm-hmm. confident, because for a while there, you were talking about progressively moving up to 147. Yes, I was, Um, but I, it's just something I want to do. I want to be a world champion at 140 again. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to lie, man. I, um, you know, the first fight back after that, you know, I missed weight. Second fight, mm-hmm. it was higher, and I missed weight again. So I was like, I didn't know if I can make 140, you know. So what I did, Luckily, I did have all this time off. So what I did, I hired a nutritionist. I did a mock camp, a two-week mock camp. I hired a nutritionist. He came in uh, from Canada, and he just, I did everything. I mean, I didn't cheat. I didn't put one piece of salt in my body that he didn't tell me to do. I did everything he told me to do. I made the weight fine, um, perfectly, the best I ever felt, felt strong. And now at 140, and now I know I can stay at 140 right now. Mm. I mean, Hiring those nutritionists, I know they're expensive and mm-hmm. it's tough to reach into your pocket for that stuff, but they seem to work. Like I talk to Sergio Moore all the time about how his career kind of went a little sideways mm-hmm. when he gave up his nutrition. He was paying nutritionists like 10000 a month or something like that back yeah. in the day. Mm-hmm. And he said it worked. It helped him win a world title against yeah. Vernon Forrest. But you mm-hmm. go away from it. And the same thing with Teofimo Lopez. Like he, yeah. you know, cut ties with perfecting athletes, people. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be 
it's really it's important not just to make weight right but to yeah. make it the right way yeah it's, it's definitely important to make it the right way they they very you know it's a it's a it's a a two-way street because they are expensive they're yeah very 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 yeah. expensive but, but you're you know, investing in yourself you're like investing you're, in yourself yeah. and you need it and I, that's why I, I invest in myself and i know that i need that because once you once you're at a point like i'm getting older now you know so i know when when i was younger and i did the thing is i did things wrong my whole career as mm -hmm. far as nutrition wise i did things wrong my whole career all we did we sat in a sauna and i remember when i was when I was like in my twenties, I would sit in the sauna for like an hour. I would do like a hundred burpees in the sauna, <laughs> push-ups, all that type of stuff. And I just can do it. And now, I mean, I can sit in the sauna 20 minutes, it's like I'm ready to like it's I'm going through hell. I'm ready to get out. And so, you know, and we were still doing that stuff. Me and my trainer, you know, it's old school. So we were still doing all that type of stuff, sitting in the sauna and killing myself. So now I say, you know what, I need a nutritionist. And the top people, they have you have to have a nutritionist. You it just it's something you have to have, mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I did. I invested in myself. I nutritionist, and um, yeah. Now I know. Now I know I can make the way, and it's it's all documented. It's all scientific right now. Mm -hmm. It's all he he does. He did all my measurements. He did everything. He still has it all in his books, and so now we know exactly how. And I did it. When I did it, I don't know if you saw when I was with Duran. I was with Duran New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So that was right before the, the that I was with Duran New Orleans on a Friday. The nutritionist came to texas on sunday so i was in new orleans eating and doing all that stuff and getting a little <laughs> fat and still the nutritionist came sunday and i made the weight that next thursday mm -hmm. so it just tell you how good he was like i mean just how good nutrition is period with the science what was it like spending time with duran it was surreal that's my favorite fight mm -hmm. him and mike tyson my two favorite fighters of all time and i'm like and he he was like really you know sometimes you meet people like your idols and they kind of disappoint you and he didn't at all. Like he, everything was it. It was like perfect because he was just like an old man. He he reminded me of my grandpa. He was like an old man. <laughs> he say all kinds of inappropriate stuff. Like he he doesn't <laughs> hold his tongue back at all. Like Duran would say anything. And so his daughter Irochelle, she was the I shout out to Irochelle. She was the one like kind of set it up, and she she kind of like turning red and stuff. She's blushing because he said all kinds of stuff. He don't care what he he just has no filter. He just mm -hmm. doesn't care what he's saying about girls, women, food just sex drugs he don't care about what he says and so she she's like oh, i don't want to repeat that and you know but it was just and so another thing that was like really like like funny it's scary too about that situation because duran is like 70 something years old mm -hmm. and he walks he walks like an old man like a 70 year old and so we went first we went to eat and then after that we went to the boxing gym and when we when we got to the boxing gym and he got in the stands he like transformed mm -hmm. and that was like like that was and me and him was like playing around and stuff and he still is like it was just like riding a bike for him is is and he said he all that's his favorite thing he kept saying the boxing is easy boxing is easy and you can tell it really was and his everything was hard like his body was hard like we was me and he was like kind of shadow boxing playing mm -hmm. around and all this his forms his muscles his body his head his neck all that stuff was like still kind of solid for mm -hmm. like an old man i'm like <laughs> damn like just imagine like when he was in his like in his career, like mm -hmm. how good, like how scary he could be, mm -hmm. and you know, I I looked in a lot of people's eyes. When I looked in his eyes, it, it felt like I was looking at the devil. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, it was fucking scary for real. <laughs> did you like spending that time with him? Did you take anything away that you think will help you as a boxer yes. moving forward? Yes, definitely for sure. He was um he was showing me like how to hit the bag a little bit, and he was showing me like um inside a lot of inside fight. I'm. I like to fight on the inside. I like to fight basically, and like Duran is somebody that I watch 
probably more than anybody I ever watched. Between Durant and Purnell, I watched them more than anybody. And just like showing, he was just showing me like how he plays with the hands, like how he wrestles a little bit on the inside and how he'll like play with your hands and pick it off. That was just something. I went immediately, I went back to Texas. I was like, I'm working on that. I mm-hmm. want to learn how to work on that because it was, and, and you look at, somebody did a, so of course somebody saw that and somebody did a video and they put, they compared it when he was young in his career, how they did it. And they, they, they put the video with me and him and they said how he was doing it. And it was like, damn, like this is, like, like this is, you know, it'll really work. That's badass. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> That's pretty man. badass. Yeah, it really was. And I'm glad I got to know them. I'm real, I'm cool, I'm real cool with his daughter now, Irochelle, mm-hmm. his two sons. They want me to come um to Panama with him. Mm-hmm. He wants me to come to Panama, spend time with him. So I'm definitely gonna as soon as I get a fight date, I'm a fight and then, you know, I'm gonna go to um Panama. That's another guy knows a little something rain. about kind of, you know, you gotta keep a disciplined lifestyle. I mean, I bet if you ask him, you know, going back to those days, if he had done things a little bit differently, maybe he he beats Ray the second time, or maybe this, yeah, you know, yeah. Of course, he know he was, yeah, he, 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 he lived it up. up. He lived it up. Yeah, he lived it up. <laughs> he still was like great. Like for me, like yeah. Durant, maybe you might disagree with me. Maybe other people, for me, Durant is the greatest living fighter on this planet. Okay. Right now. All right. I think he's the great. I can say four greatest living fighters on this planet right now is, um, Durant, Sugar Ray Leonard, mm-hmm. probably Floyd and Pacquiao. For me, in that order. I think that's the greatest living fighters because. Of course, Ray Robinson is there. Sure. Ali is there. Right. You know, but living fighters, I think Durant might be the greatest. Okay, but as a boxer, why do you put him ahead of Ray and Floyd and Manny? Um, just because his skill wise. Skill wise, I, I for me, I feel like I feel like he would beat all of them. I mm-hmm. mean, he beat Ray, you know, the first time, and that's when, you know, he was on. And of course they got, you know, we got the no mice and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, for me, I think skill wise, I think he was better than Ray. I think he, and I think he would have beat Floyd, and I think he would have beat mm-hmm. Manny Pacquiao also. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think for me, in my personal opinion, I think like Durant, like it's just his skill, man. Like, cause he can, he could do so much. Like he was a, he was a mean, he was a killer. Um, he could fire on the outside, he could fire on the inside, he could do so much, and he just knew boxing. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's for me, Durant is like the greatest living fighter right now i mean they fought so many good fights back in those days those four kings just back and forth back and forth that's when boxing was at its best when guys were just going at it with each other exactly they fought they all fought like actually you know they they kept fighting like really really Mm -hmm. good fights it wasn't picking it wasn't all it was like really good fights and how he just came back you know he was considered he was done Mm -hmm. and he came back he beat david moore Mm -hmm. and then he beat um what's his name the big one um iran barkley yeah and it was like like in if you look at that fight and look how small Durant was, yeah. look how big Barkley was, and he beat him. He didn't at first when Durant was at one thirty five, it was like mostly it was some boxing, but it was brute. He was mm-hmm. just stronger than everybody. Yeah. And he went up and fight and fought Barkley, and he was um it was skill, mm-hmm. you know, it was finesse. It was skill. He wasn't stronger than Barkley. Mm-hmm. It was it was skill, and mm-hmm. that's why I think he's the you know greatest living fighter right now. So you. Aim to be a title holder next year. Josh mm-hmm. Taylor's going to fight probably in February against Jack Catterall. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of anticipating him moving up after that and those titles becoming vacant, or how do you how do you kind of view the 140 pound landscape yeah. and your path to getting a title? I think he. I think from what I heard, pretty much that he'll probably go up and those titles will be vacant, and um, then I'll probably you know grab a belt or two or something like that, and then you know probably go up to 47 and fight Josh again. Mm-hmm. 140 could get really interesting in the next year, year yeah. and a half, because you got all these guys at 135. Teofimo already said mm-hmm. he's moving up. I would anticipate Devin Haney at some point moving up. Maybe mm-hmm. Ryan Garcia moves up. 
We know Tank is is been fluctuating between yeah. weights mm-hmm. over the last couple of fights. Probably smart to stay at 147. And you're right. Yeah. Grab that title, and all of a sudden you have some leverage to make these fights. Exactly. Yeah. Once I'm once I'm a world champion again, then yeah, like then they'll be calling me out. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't have to call them out no more. Then they'll be. I'll just sit back and just watch my Twitter. Mm-hmm. Then they'll like they'll start calling me. Well, out I stuff. would say this though. Like, ask Demetrius Andre that. Like he. Nobody's calling him out. Nobody will. Nobody yeah. get in the ring. He's got a belt. Nobody's trying to fight him. Yeah, yeah. Which, well, I hope I'm not like that. <laughs> I hope so. I hope yeah. so either. I don't, I'm not, do you think Gervonta would ever fight you? Because that was interesting. When you said, I'm ready to go, I'm ready, I would have been all for it. That would have mm-hmm. been a monster fight, an entertaining yeah. fight, two big punchers, mm-hmm. um, but I never believed he was going to. He's not going to fight me. I don't yeah. think so. I think, um, listen, I, I'm a student of the game. I'm a historian of the game. Boxing is about advantage. It's all about getting that small, small advantage over your opponent, right? With me, I think that if they ever agreed to fight me, they would they would do something like Floyd is Floyd is a master. He's smart. Leonard Ellaby is a master. He's smart in his boxing business, right? So they it's all about advantage. I think if they ever agreed to fight me, they would type they would try to take some type of advantage. And what they would say is, let's do it at one thirty seven. Hmm. Let's do it at one thirty eight or something like that. Because you know I'm a forty and they know I have hmm. you know I had trouble making weight. Now I, I probably could do that, but. They'll probably say, let's do it at 130. Let's do it. Or if you if you make the, you know, if it's at 140, you can't go over 145 or something like that. I think that's what they'll try to do, something like that. So I'm calling out right now before they even try to do that, right? That's so, what Floyd did to Canelo back in the day, 152. It's, it's about it's about advantages. Mm-hmm. You know, it's smart, you know. And so, you know, Javante, he's bigger than me. He's a bigger name than me. So, you know, that's what they'll try to do. And if they say, oh, I'm going to pay you $10 million, it's like, you know, what you, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to complain about it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to get $10 million. So, it's what it is, but as as far as physically, like me and him, mano to mano, like I don't think he has no advantages over. You're me. just physically bigger. I'm physically I mean, bigger. I think I'm stronger. I mm-hmm. think I punch hard. I I can fight. You know, I can box when I need to. Um, I'm slick, and when I you know when I need to, I have defense and stuff. And I'm just a dog, and mm-hmm. they know that. And I have a chin. You can't just you're not gonna just hit me and just mm-hmm. beat me up. You know, so I think that. It won't be no advantages. Aurigis, you are a television-friendly fighter, man. I'm hoping to see you back multiple times, three times at least in 2022. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully 2022 is a hopefully good a world year. title around your waist, and you get some of these big fights that you've been uh, asking for and frankly mm-hmm. deserve. I mean, one loss should not a loss that close should right. not stop a guy from getting all these big fights. So, yeah. appreciate your time, man, and good no luck problem. to you next year. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to James Andrew Miller and Regis Progray for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And we'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. 
And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.